chapter 3, verse 18 to 22. That's the responsibility here in about 10 minutes or so. Can't promise I'll be on time, but we'll try and do our best and uh, we'll just continue on. So, for Christ also suffered once for sins. And I think uh, what Jeff had taken there is a good um, uh, preamble to this section. It, it provides context to, to this section here that is often a difficult passage to interpret. And um, I don't uh, pretend to have any revelations today, but uh, I'll share with you a few points that I'd like to make. But um, it, it kind of links in with the previous verses that we just looked at. So, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, Angels and authorities and powers haven't been made subject to him. Now, um, in the Bible, there are difficult, difficult passages to understand and to, to, to try to process. Um, and I think this is one of them, two, two different uh, verses here that kind of look at a difficult passage. One is like uh, the Lord uh, and, and him going to preach the spirits in prison, and then also the, the baptism and what does that refer to? And um, I, I think there's been many um, uh, thoughts about this. We know that there's a couple of different camps. Uh, just as a preamble and introduction to this section, I don't really want to um, look at this as a difficult passage. Um, when we went into chapter one, we looked at a potentially difficult subject in, in the election, the election of individuals, perhaps. And we, we, we read the, the work of Peter Kerr in that verse. And like uh, in the English translation, it doesn't communicate what is really supposed to be communicated there. Um, that was that, that kind of transformed the verse. And I've been a Christian for quite a while, not maybe as, as much as you have, um, but um, this whole letter written to persecuted believers is supposed to be an encouragement to believers. Um, and, and yet a lot of these verses contained in this, this book here have been a source of division for believers. Um, you look at elect individuals, are they elect? You have the Arminianism uh, theory, you have the Calvinistic theory about these things in chapter 1, verse 2. Um, but as as we read about that work from Peter Kerr, really looking at the biblical interpretation of the Greek that's supposed to be represented there, maybe we've lost something in the translation. And maybe there's no argument to be said there, but these people were, were, were chosen by God to be persecuted, to send a message to those around that, you know, um, Christ is still worth pursuing. And even though they would be persecuted and, and, and raised, uh, taken from their homes and their livelihoods, that... Uh, there was still encouragement to be had. And, and as, as I've been a Christian and uh, I've seen a lot of um, uh, talk about some of these verses that are difficult, and I'm not saying that everything has to be simplified to a, a great degree, but I'm just saying that sometimes, um, you know, we, can, we, we lose the bigger picture. This is a letter sent to persecuted believers. 
more than what I would suffer at work for just kind of mentioning the name of Christ, more uh, suffering than me just holding a Bible at work and suffering for that. It's extreme suffering. Why is it through my whole life that, you know, chapter 1, verse 2, and also maybe chapter 3, 18 to 22, those sections, why have it, has it caused so much uh, we tend to kind of have our opinions about it, and then we tend to disagree, and then we, we go apart. But if I'm a Christian in this time, and I receive this letter from Peter the Apostle, I'm, I'm reading this, and I'm thinking, okay, there's something bigger here that he wants to tell me. And I believe he wants to bring encouragement in persecution in 18 to 22. And we can't get fixated maybe on some of the uh, details although it's okay to do that, but I think we can't lose the bigger picture that God is coming here, just like he is in 1 verse 2. He's coming with a triune God. He's coming to, to, to surround the saints in this persecuted time. They need encouragement. They need encouragement. In this section too, they need encouragement. What encouragement do they get from 18 to 22? Well, in verse 18, it says, Christ also suffered once for sins. And I think, you know, if you're, if you're looking at major religions, um, I don't know how many of these leaders of major religions have suffered. I don't think there's many that have suffered for the people ahead of them suffering. And so we can say that, you know, Christ, our representative, has suffered once for sins. It was our sins. I wonder if they felt these people at this time, here's another source of encouragement in verse 18, the just for the unjust. Christ was held up as the, and given the just for the unjust. How many times were they treated unjustly, these Christians? And I think that's the take home, one of the take home messages there is that as they were going through life, they were just, they were reviled and they were, uh, you know, their good that they were doing were, was taken as evil. That's what we just read. And so here is Christ going before them, the just, the ultimate just person, given for the ultimate unjust person, and how that might have encouraged their hearts. The third thing of encouragement here is that Christ is given power to preach in verse 19. Did they need power to preach? Did they need power to that, that word preach is really to proclaim? That they need power in their word and their messages to the to the people around them, inflicting this uh, this persecution on them. Do they need power in them? Christ was given power by the Holy Spirit. It says in verse eighteen, by whom he also went and preached to the spirits in prison. Now, some would say that maybe this is Christ through Noah in Noah's time that he's speaking to the spirits here. Others would say that Christ is visiting after his resurrection, the spirits in prison. I don't, you know, I tend to land on the second one that I have come to appreciate, that Christ, it says here that Christ, after he was made alive by the spirit, he went and he preached to the spirits in prison. Now, just because he preached doesn't mean he's preaching a second chance. The word really means proclaimed in ESV. What is he proclaiming? Well, we're not specifically told, but... I wonder, in verse 20, is he recapping the story of Noah to these spirits in prison, to these ones who are disobedient? And thereby, as you're reading that as a persecuted Christian, you're thinking, okay, well, here is 
an instance where salvation was given to a people at one point in life, and it wasn't really believed or taken up in whole, as they turned around in Noah's day and saw only eight souls there out of the whole world at that time, I have to think maybe he preached this message of salvation in Noah's day to these spirits who were living at that time, these disobedient spirits. So as he recaps the story of Noah, he is witnessing to them, he is proclaiming to them the victory that he had himself over sin and the victory that Noah and the eight souls had through that judgment in that time. We read of a good conscience that these Christians would have. We read of a good conscience in verse 21. We speak about the word baptism there. And this is a baptism of regeneration. It's a baptism not by water that we would see in the baptismal tank behind us. It's a baptism just like Noah was baptized. He was immersed in the ark. And so these Christian believers were immersed in Christ, and that's the baptism. It's not the ceremonial removing of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God that they were totally confident in him. Anyone in the ark lived. And this would speak volumes to those people who were trying to bring the message, proclaim the message to those who were persecuting them. It would bring them comfort. It would bring them encouragement. That you know what? In Noah's day, 120 years of preaching righteousness, only eight souls came to know the Lord, to came to trust in his salvation. How would that be an encouragement to those who would speak the same message the same baptism, if you will, to those around, and, and they would see no fruit or very little fruit. And, 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 and God, through the Holy Spirit, is coming here, writing these words down, and, and Peter's writing these words down as a source of encouragement to them. And I just got to think that, you know, as, this, this, as Christ proclaimed to these spirits in prison this wonderful story of Noah, you know what? This is the time that you lived. I wonder, <laughs> I mean... We see how um, the rich man and, and uh, Lazarus, the rich man, was able to remember things that happened during his life. I wonder if Christ, as he proclaimed what he did uh, through Noah at that time, was this a, an awful reminder about the salvation that existed at that time for these people in Noah's day. And so he's sealing their fate, really. He is communicating to them that I am the victor. I have gone into heaven and I'm at the right hand of God. Angels and authorities and powers being made subject to him or to, to Christ. And that would say that, you know, um, he, he's over, he's given the position of authority, the position of honor, uh, all these three different levels of authorities, angels, authorities, and powers being made subject to him. He was standing there in front of them proclaiming this. And, and what a uh, what a message, a seal of their fate, not a second chance. We get a first chance, but it's nowhere mentioned in Scripture. We get a second chance. He's not preaching the gospel here, I do believe, but he's he's telling them about his victory. He's telling them about how really uh, someone who comes to to Christ, just like those who would come into the ark, would share in the resurrection of Christ and be linked to that one who is supreme over 
all these things. And that Noah's day, how comforting to Noah when Noah would use him as an example of his faithfulness and his devotion in times when it was absolutely tough to do. You talk about a person who went through persecution. He's building a boat. What is the boat? I don't see down the road John's Marina. I mean, what is rain? Can you imagine the persecution that came on him? And yet God is taking him and, and representing him or, or presenting him as an example to these people here, how it must have warmed their hearts. That if they can, if Noah can do it in his time, you can do it as well. Because Christ has overcome the enemy. And uh, um, the next source of encouragement is that Christ will remember their work. Christ will remember their work. Sorry, that was the point that was just uh, shared there about, about their work on behalf of Christ. Christ will remember their work. God, through the Holy Spirit, remembers Noah's work. He hasn't forgot it. He will remember their work. And then the last point I'd like to make is that Christ reassurance, the encouragement that it's okay. Why? Because Christ is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. So even though it seems like all these are against you and have the upper hand on you, well, just be reminded about where Christ is. He's in control. And... Uh, Everything is subject to him. And that's all I have for today. So kind of a difficult passage, um, but may it give us something to think about. Amen.